is Camilla and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! everyone welcome back to the cat's whisker i am camilla and today we're talking about something really really interesting as you know every time we're talking about everything rock and roll and how it became so successful but the reason why rock and roll became so popular might seem obvious to many of us i mean it is simply the best music in the world I'm absolutely not biased, clearly. Uh, But if you actually think about it, the fact that it got so far is pretty amazing. So today, I would like to talk about how people fought for rock and roll and for its right to exist, even when everyone was trying to ban it. It was really a revolutionary thing, especially because of the youth of the period. They knew what they wanted to fight for and rock and roll in many cases was just a pretext, a music that carried that message of freedom and equality that the new generation was looking for. And as we know, rock and roll originated in the US and it was called rhythm and blues at the beginning. And when it was popularized, adults made fun of it. On April the 4th, 1955, a journalist from South Dakota named Hal Boyle wrote in the Rapid City Journal. While the sedate elders are still stately prancing to the mambo, the teenagers are reeling to another rhythm. It is called rock and roll. But just what is it? No use to ask a teenager. His mouth simply falls open, a glassy look comes into his eyes and his body begins to undulate like an earthworm with a stomachache. Well, interestingly enough, adults who first mocked people that listened to rock and roll, but soon after decided to ban it because they were worried for their souls. I understand the interest, but you have to pick one, darling. And even if radios weren't allowed to play some songs, such as Work With Me Annie by Hank Ballard, because for the America's Federal Communication Commission was too suggestive, people still left the house and bought the record that obviously topped the charts. But what I find really interesting that makes it quite different from the UK is that in the US the choice on whether to ban a rock and roll or not fell on radios or, in some other cases, on entire cities. Shows used to get cancelled if there was a slight suspicion of rock and roll dances happening. Police had to cancel one of Fats Domino's Connecticut shows in 1955 because of a riot happened near to an arena where rock and roll dances were featured. And if that sounds ridiculous, hear this. In Ohio, people under 18 couldn't dance in public unless they were with an adult. Crazy, right? It sounds like a law from 1931, which, by the way, is. And yes, it was from 1931 and Cleveland police decided to apply it again in 1956. And it's crazy because when we think about all the films that were set in the 50s, I don't know, I'm even just thinking like kind of that era we all think about people dancing to rock and roll and stuff like that. But it is quite crazy at the same time that actually in real life, I'm not saying it wasn't happening as often because I'm sure it was happening, but people were against that because they thought that there was some kind of satanic message that was revealed 
on the dance floor. And yes, I'm talking about this because in 1956, rock and roll was banned from Santa Cruz in California as well. On June the 2nd, 1956, 200 youngsters gathered to watch Chuck Higgins and his orchestra. The audience was having a really good time, or in the words of a police officer that stopped by, they were making highly suggestive, stimulating and tantalizing motions induced by the provocative rhythms of an old Negro band, a music that he feared might make the crowd uncontrollable. I mean, if I wasn't from this earth and I've heard someone describing a scene like that, I would think they would they were listening to something absolutely crazy. But probably that's, you know, that's what it sounded like at that time. That's what people thought of rock and roll at that like that time. It didn't sound like anything else. And yet actually it was a music genre that came from the evolution of genres that were already there, but when it was finally called rock and roll and probably even like, you know, propelled by uh, Alan Freed and uh, all the new musicians that were very, very interesting and making a lot of very interesting music for all the youth of that period. It must have sounded so crazy, but yeah, if it was an alien from a, you know, a remote point in the galaxy, I would be thinking, what the hell is that? And then listening to that music, I'm not saying it's innocent because actually it makes you want to dance. It makes you want to, you know, have a good time. But certainly there's nothing like satanic about it, as I was saying. But again, back to Santa Cruz. The next day, rock and roll was banned from the whole city. And the need to specify um, in the police notes that the performers were black made it sound as if Higgins tried to cast a spell on a bunch of well-behaved kids that under the influence of rock and roll became criminals. Well, this definitely created even more frictions in the idyllic community, highlighting how the ban was more than likely influenced by all the racism and prejudice of many conservative parents. But protests right under the city's manager's office made the local government back up really, really quick, especially since Santa Cruz was a holiday destination. And I'm not sure many teenagers would have wanted to go there if they couldn't go to dance halls. And it didn't only happen in small cities, though. Later on, in 1958, one of DJ Alan Freed's legendary shows forced the police to ban a rock and roll in Boston. Now, I've already talked about Alan Freed before. He is the person that introduced rock and roll to the masses and hosted many, many concerts where both black and white rock and roll lovers could finally dance together. And clearly, he wasn't very popular between parents. In 1958, he was hosting the Big Beat show with 17 acts, including Frankie Lyman, Chuck Berry, Danny and the Juniors, and Jerry Lee Lewis. 5,000 fans gathered, and at the beginning, everything seemed to go according to plan. But when Jerry Lee was on stage, the kids started dancing in the aisles. I mean, I can't blame them, really. The police asked Freed to ask the audience to be quiet and sit down. As if. The last set of the night, the grand finale, was Chuck Berry. I mean, imagine having to sit down while Chuck Berry in person is playing. It would be impossible, right? That's what the kids thought as well, and Alan Freed started begging them to stop. 
but it didn't quite work this time. And he didn't really help himself either, because out of frustration he yelled in the microphone, it looks like the police in Boston don't want you kids to have any fun. Oh god. The crowd now started a fight and kids started throwing chairs at each other, and then as the kids walked out of the arena, violence erupted in the streets. Barry was so scared that he had to hide behind his drummer. Some say that the fight probably broke out because of some gang rivalries, but unfortunately Freed had to take the blame nevertheless. He was indicted for inciting a riot, but the charges were dropped not long after. Rock and roll, though, was banned from all the state buildings after that incident. In the UK, rock and roll didn't have an easy life at first either. When rock and roll started becoming popular in the UK, the first records pressed were exact copies of the songs that were big successes in the US, and they were recorded by session musicians here. And as you can imagine, they gave you the same feeling of when you find a compilation of rock and roll classics in a record shop, and when you finally get home and put them on the record player, you realize they're not the actual songs. They were just lacking something, the enthusiasm, the kick, the rebellious soul of the originals. Then obviously, all around the country, skiffle and rock and roll bands started to make their own music, or at least make new versions of rock and roll classics. Nevertheless, in the mid-50s, when rock and roll became very popular, it was treated like a dangerous underground culture. It was obviously charting really, really well, but if you wanted to hear it on the radio, you could just forget about it. During this time, the BBC was the only radio in the UK, and popular music was sometimes played on the light program. And if this doesn't seem limiting enough, the BBC and the Musicians Union made a deal about what it's called needle time. This deal set the limit of commercial music playable on the air to 5 hours a day. This clearly made it very hard for new music to be played and discovered so that people could go out and buy it. So to fill the rest of the time on the air, they had to use either cover versions or music from the BBC Orchestra. But hey, as usual, people always found a way around it. I'm talking about Radio Luxembourg, the most powerful private commercial radio in Europe. It was used by the British mainly because it was illegal for the BBC to advertise on domestic radio. It was obviously really followed in the UK and in Ireland because Radio Luxembourg was mainly in English, but let's not forget, its airways reached basically most countries in Europe. That also loved it. In the late 50s and early 60s, many of the programs were actually recorded in London though, and that created even more frictions between the BBC and Radio Luxembourg. Although, to be honest, many DJs were actually working for both at the same time. If in the past Radio Luxembourg was broadcasting family-friendly entertainment, this is the moment when it switches mainly to music. Especially since Radio Luxembourg had agreements with major publishing companies such as EMI, Decca, Pi and Philips. Soon after, other similar operations started with pirate radios, such as Radio Caroline, which was playing music free of commercial deals with major companies and, most of all, free of national jurisdiction since it was operating from the sea. That's when many pirate radios actually started to appear. To mention a few, Wonderful Radio London, Swingin' Radio England, Radio 270, Radio Scotland, Radio City, which was operating from the Shivering Sands Army Fort, an abandoned World War II sea fort, and many others. 
Later on, with the British invasion and television programs, it was literally impossible to avoid rock and roll. But even then, the circus didn't stop. From the BBC asking the Who not to sing My Generation because it was offensive to people who stuttered, to dance halls in the UK banning bits and pieces by the Dave Clark Five because they feared teenagers would stomp and damage the wooden floors. Now, since we talked about the BBC, here's an interesting story. In 1969, David Bowie wrote Space Oddity which is probably one of my favorite songs, a great classic now. So during that period, and that's probably why he wrote it, everyone had in mind the moon landing because it was about to happen. And what happened was since he already had the song ready, but the moon landing was about to happen, the BBC decided not to release the song. And keep in mind that in that period, the BBC could decide whether you could make it or break it. The BBC decided to pause the release of that song until everyone knew that the astronauts on board of Apollo 11 were back on Earth. And that was because they thought that if they released a song like Space Oddity, where Major Tom basically is not returning home, releasing such song would have made everyone sad and not optimistic about the moon landing. Isn't that crazy? But my last story for today comes from the old USSR. It was 1929 when Josef Stalin rose to power and just like art and cinema, even music had to carry the values of the new regime, following a specific aesthetic called socialist realism. Its four cornerstones were the disapproval of pessimism and the subsequent exaltation of revolutionary optimism. Also, to make art relatable, it had to use everyday objects. And it had to be instrumental in building trust in socialism. Art had to obviously complement the newly born USSR. So in a nutshell, everything classic and traditional was a big yes and all the new foreign artistic forms were a hard no. And censorship there was no joke, especially during the war. When Stalin died in the 50s, the mindset started to change a little, but in order to keep everything under control, the masses' taste had to be under constant scrutiny. That meant that rebellious music that could generate riots such as jazz first and boogie woogie and rock and roll after were immensely frowned upon. But the infinite bands couldn't keep people from smuggling records or, that's the interesting bit, from pressing illegal records. And since vinyl wasn't really available, a group called Stiliagi used to produce bone records. I know what you're thinking, but there's nothing creepy about it. Well, as we were saying, pressing on vinyl wasn't always an option. So after different tries, someone figured out that x-rays were a good alternative. So after getting their hands on old bone x-rays, these guys would hand cut discs out of them and the lit cigarette was the right tool to create a hole in the center to make sure the records would spin. And even if the quality of the records wasn't great, so much so that they were so thin that they could only be recorded on one side, these discs were secretly and scrupulously kept by teenagers all over the country. On a side note, they also looked very very cool, as well as creepy. A tiny bit, I know I said they weren't creepy, but yeah, a tiny bit, I'm not gonna lie. Because the records would still feature strangers' bones on them, and 
I mean, that's not really something you would want to have on your records. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Thank you very much for listening. I actually had a lot of fun um, while I was discovering all these crazy things. And I know I talked a lot about all the bans, all the situations with censorship and religion, but I always managed to find new stuff. And please, if you know about any ban or event, please let me know because it's just so interesting. And the weirdest thing is that, you know, they tried to ban it then, but really that's a music that is still very much loved. And if I'm here today talking about it, it just goes to show that you can't stop rock and roll and no one will ever be able to. If you want to know what I'm always up to, which is not much, but I try. <laughs> I try to keep uh, myself busy. You can follow me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker Podcast. I've actually just released a cover of Please Please Me with Liam, my boyfriend. We did the Please Please Me episode together. Um, so if you follow me there or on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker, you can actually check out our cover. I hope you like it. And until then, I'll see you next week. Ciao.